السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, we gather once again for the fourth part of the study and commentary of famous hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. For those of you studying from the original collection of Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, the hadith number is 2731. And for those of you following us using the abridged version of Imam Bukhari Sahih, the abridgment by Imam Zainuddin al-Zabidi called it Tajreed al-Sarih, the hadith al-Jami'i sahih the hadith number is 1192. Just a quick summary of what we've covered so far in the hadith. It's a very long hadith. The two narrators of the hadith are Miswar ibn Makhramah radiyallahu anhu and along with him Marwan ibn al-Hakam. And ultimately they relate from other companions radiyallahu anhum, namely Umar ibn al-Khattab, Uthman ibn Affan, Umm al-Salamah radiyallahu anhum, as well as others. They relate that the Prophet ﷺ left the holy city of Al-Madinat Al-Munawwara at the beginning of the month of Dhul-Qa'dah in the sixth year of Hijrah. This was the first time the Prophet ﷺ was traveling to Mecca after the Hijrah. And he did so with a very peaceful intention of merely performing the Umrah. He had no intention of fighting or battle. A number of incidents took place along the way. Prophet ﷺ also made some preparations and took certain precautions, all of which I've detailed before. After a somewhat eventful journey, the Prophet ﷺ arrived and eventually camped a few miles to the west of Mecca in an area known as Hudaybiyah. The Quraysh had learned that the Prophet ﷺ was on his way, that was closer to Mecca. So a large contingent of the Quraysh 
had come out of Makkah, battle ready, and they had camped in the same area of Hudaybiyah. They were in the part of Hudaybiyah close to, closer to Makkah, the eastern side, the Prophet ﷺ was to the western side of the area of Hudaybiyah. Here they were both camped. Again, a number of incidents took place which we've all covered in detail. Whilst the Prophet ﷺ was camped there, Budayl ibn Warqa al-Khuzai radiyallahu who was one of the leaders of Banu Khuzai he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he actually came of his own accord he wasn't sent by the Quraysh because he was from the tribe of Khuzai who were rivals of the Quraysh. And of his own accord, he came to the Prophet ﷺ as he had their welfare at heart and he wanted to see what he could do to ease the passage of the Prophet ﷺ to Makkah al-Mukarramah. So Budayl ibn Warqa came of his own accord and he came to visit the Prophet ﷺ. At that time he wasn't a Muslim. Budayl ibn Warqa al-Khuzai embraced Islam. Just approximately two years later, at the conquest of Mecca, or slightly earlier. But at the time that all of this took place, he wasn't a Muslim. This is where we reached last week, where Budayl ibn Warqa came to the Prophet and spoke to him. He didn't come alone, he came with a delegation of Khuza'a, of the tribe of Khuza'a. And he had, a, he had a detailed conversation with the Prophet which we've covered last week. Finally, he then said, فَقَالَ وَبِسَّنَدِ الْمُتَّصِلِ مِنِّي إِلَى الْإِمَامِ الْبُخَارِي رَحْمَهُ اللَّهِ قَالْ I relate from, with, an uncon- with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me to Imam Bukhari رَحْمَهُ اللَّهِ who relates with his chain from Miswar ibn Makhramah رضي الله عنه and Marwan ibn al-Hakam and here part of the hadith then says, فَقَالَ بُدَيْنٌ so Budayl ibn Warqa al-Khuzai radiyallahu anhu, having heard what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, he said to him, سَأُبَلِّغُهُمْ مَا تَقُولُ I will relate to them what you are saying. So all that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had said, he said, I will relate to them what you are saying. And we know what he said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam reassured him that we have only come to perform the umrah we have not come with any intention of fighting. And what is wrong with the Quraysh? Why don't they just leave me alone and desist from fighting me? For the, the war with us has not reached anywhere. It has not been in their favor. They have been weakened and they are unable to do anything. The whole conversation I explained last week. The narrator says, فَانْطَلَقْ So Budayl ibn Warqa then went. 
hatta ata Quraysh until he came to the Quraysh. He said to them, Inna qad jitnakum min rajul. Indeed, we have come to you. Because he didn't go alone, he went with the same delegation. Inna qad jitnakum min rajul. Indeed, we have come to you from this man. Meaning, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَسَمِعْنَاهُ يَقُولُ And we've heard him make a statement. فَإِنْ شِئْتُمْ أَنْ نَعْرِضَهُ عَلَيْكُمْ فَعَلْنَهُ So if you wish that we present the statements of his to you, we shall do so. فَقَالَ صَفَهَاؤُهُمْ So the foolish ones amongst them said, لا حاجة لنا أن تخبرنا عنه بشيء. We have no need of you informing us about anything to do with him. وقال ذو الرأي منهم. But the ones of understanding amongst them said, and we learn from some narrations that Sufaha'uhum, they're foolish ones. Some of the names have been given. And these were the young and middle-aged ones. And the Dhawra'i, the people of opinion, the people of understanding, these were the elders amongst them. And in Arabic, the word sufaha, although it can be used in a very derogatory manner to refer to someone who's stupid, foolish, ignorant, sufaha can actually be used in a non-derogatory way to refer to those who are not of great understanding or experience. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تُؤْتُوا السُّفَهَاءَ أَمْوَالَكُمُ الَّتِي جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ قِيَامًا That do not give the sufaha. And the reference here is to children. So it can be used in a non-derogatory manner. Sufaha, which is a plural of safi. So... Although I translated it as the foolish ones amongst them, it's because of what they said. But these were some of their younger and middle-aged ones. But the more, the, the elderly amongst them, the ones of experience. And the ones of understanding amongst them said, Produce for us what you heard him say. Like tell us. قال بديل بن ورقاء رضي الله عنه said سمعته يقول كذا وكذا I heard him say this and like this. He related the whole conversation. فحدثهم بما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم So he related to them what the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم had said. 
And we learned last week what, what Rasulullah wasallam had said to them. Which is, I'll just repeat, Messenger wasallam said, we have not come to fight with anyone. Rather, we have come to perform the Umrah. And the Quraysh, war has weakened them and has harmed them. So if they wish, I can agree a term of truce with them. And they can leave me and vacate the space between me and the other tribes, the other people. So if I prevail over them, then if they wish, they can join the others in following me just as others have followed me. And if otherwise, meaning if I don't prevail, then they can still battle me later. And in the meantime, they will have rested and recuperated. But if now they they refuse to desist and they insist on fighting me, then by Allah, I will continue to battle with them. Subudayl radiyallahu anh said, I will inform them of what you said. And he went to the Quraysh. The Quraysh, he told them, and the elderly and the wise one amongst them said, tell us what Muhammad has told you. So Budayl ibn Warqar radiyallahu anh related the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to them. Then, فَقَامُ عُرْوَةُ بْنُ مَسْعُودٍ So Wudayl ibn Warqa told them what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had said. فَقَامُ عُرْوَةُ بْنُ مَسْعُودٍ So Urwatu ibn Mas'ud stood up. فَقَالُ He was amongst the Quraysh. So he stood up. And said, أَيْ قَوْمِ O my people. أَلَسْتُمْ بِالْوَالِدِ are you not the parents? قالوا بلى. They said, of course. قال أولست بالولد. Am I not the child? They said, of course. قالوا بلى. They said, of course. قال فهل تتهموني? He said, do you doubt me? <coughs> Literally, it means, do you accuse me of untrustworthiness. So do you trust me? They said no. Before I continue, well let me translate the next sentence. He said, meaning Urut ibn Mas'ud, Do you not know? That I roused the people of Uqav. فَلَمَّا بَلَّحُوا عَلَيْهِ But when they resisted, جِئْتُكُمْ بِأَهْلِي وَوَلَدِي I came to you with my family and my children. وَمَنْ أَطَاعَنِي And with those who followed me. قَالُوا بَلَى They said, of course. قَالُ And then he continued with this conversation. What does all this mean? Urwat ibn Mas'ud was, was not young. He was elderly. He was quite, he was a leader from the Thaqif tribe. 
was highly intelligent, regarded as being wise, a kind of diplomat. And he was from the city of Ta'if, from the tribe of Thaqif. The Quraysh dominated Mecca and its vicinity. And the other great city close to Mecca, 40 miles to the east or so, or more precisely south, well, 40 miles to the east, was Ta'if. And these two were great cities. They were, they were the centre of trade. And Ta'if being at a higher elevation, at a higher altitude, was a city known for its vineyards, its orchards, its produce, its crops. And it was actually a holiday resort. Even then, at the time of the Quraysh, and even now it is, because despite being so close to Makkah al-Mukarramah, being at a higher altitude and higher elevation, there's a lot of rainfall, the weather, the climate is quite moderate. In fact, it's cool compared to Mecca, just uh, a few miles to the west. And so, to the northwest. So the Quraysh, they were the dominant tribe in Mecca, and Thaqif was a dominant tribe in Ta'if. And since these were quite prominent, influential tribes... Very wealthy. They were traders. The Thaqif were traders. The Quraysh were traders in Mecca. So these two cities were known as great cities. And the inhabitants of these cities, especially the merchant class and the leaders, they were articulate, they were cultured, well-traveled, well-versed, astute traders, and they had travelled widely, and they would travel widely. And in Mecca, the Quraysh, when the Prophet وسلم, when he revealed the, when the Quran was revealed to him and he proclaimed his message, one of the objections of the Quraysh was that why did Allah choose Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, to be a prophet? Why wasn't this Qur'an revealed to a great man of the two cities? And according to some narrations, they specifically named the great man and they said, well, if God wanted to reveal the Qur'an, he could have revealed it to a great leader and an elderly elderly leader and statesman like Al-Walid ibn Mughira, the father of Khalid ibn Al-Walid, in Mecca, or Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi from Ta'if. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud here, he was, like I said, a well-traveled, cultured, cultivated, intelligent, wise individual. So he stood up, فَقَامَ Urwat ibn Mas'ud. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud stood up, and he said to the people, Ya qawmi, O my people. He was now living in Mecca. Alistum bil walid. Are you not the parent? So he wasn't young. He was old. 
Alastum bil walid, are you not the parent? Qalu bala, they said, of course. Then he said, Alastu bil walid, am I not the child? And they said, Qalu bala, they said, of course. What does he mean by that? Urut ibn Mas'ud was from the tribe of Thaqif. But his mother was called Subay'ah. And she was the daughter of Abd Shams. Subay'ah bintu Abd Shams. That means that from his mother's side, he was related to the Banu Abd Shams. So Abu Sufyan and his whole family. Since they were all from Banu Umayyah. So, Abu Sufyan's grandfather, Umayyah, was the brother of Urwat ibn Mas'ud's mother. So he was related to Banu Abd Shams from his mother. And that's what he means by saying, Alastum bil walid, are you not the parent? As I said, the Quraysh were, the Arabs in general, they were very particular about their tribal connections, about their lineage. And this is why a single name or reference would mean so much to them. They could name any one of their ancestors, and this is how they would operate. So, it's important for us to know these connections, otherwise we just can't make sense of the hadith. So he said, Alastum bil walid, are you not the parents? Meaning, Am I, are you not my parents? Because my mother is related to Banu Abd Shams, your family, O leaders of the Quraysh. Even though he himself, from his paternal side, was not Qurayshi, he was from the Banu Thaqif of Ta'if. So they said, of course. He said, Alastu bil walad, am I not the child? If you are the parent, I'm the child. They said, of course. Then he said, do you trust, do, do you doubt me? Do you doubt my trustworthiness? Do you consider me treacherous in any way? And they said, no, we don't. Urwat ibn Mas'ud then said, isn't it true and don't you know? That when there was a disagreement between you and the people of Uqal, he was referring to some disagreement. What Urwat ibn Mas'ud did, he said, I roused the people of Uqal. Uqal was an area just very close to Mecca, between Mecca and Ta'if, in the tribal lands of the Hawazin. And there, Every year they would hold a huge fair known as Suq al And this fair was very important because this was the place where everyone met. And it, it was actually the greatest fair of all the fairs held at that time between the Arab tribes. So Prophet ﷺ used to visit al he used to preach there. And a lot used to go on, it used to be a huge event uh, there was trade, there was an exchange of culture, poetry, they used to hold poetry competitions, and all sorts. So, that's the name of the place, Ukarth. Now, it was in the tribal lands of the Hawazin, and some dispute arose, because of which Urwat ibn Mas'ud, 
he tried to rouse the people of Uqav in favor of the Quraysh against their common enemy. But the people of Uqav resisted and they refused to be roused by him, they refused to join the Quraysh. So what Urwat ibn Mas'ud did is that when he saw that he was not being obeyed or followed on that particular occasion, he decided to side with the Quraysh even though it just meant him and his family. So he then brought his children and his family to Mecca and settled with them. So this is what he's referring to. That, do you doubt my trustworthiness? You do know, don't you? That when it came to me making a choice in the past, I actually abandoned others and came to you in alliance with my family and my children. They said yes. So he prefaced his next statement with these words. This was his introduction in order to win the hearts of the Quraysh and make them realize that what he was about to say, he was saying on the back of his welfare and concern for them, it was based on sincerity and it was based on reason and wisdom. So having made that introduction, he then said, because he had just heard what Budayl ibn Warqa had said, he said, قَالُوا بَلَا They said, of course, to all of, these, all of his statements. قَال He then said, فَإِنَّ هَذَا Indeed he, i.e. this man, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, قَدْ عَرَضَ لَكُمْ خُطَّةَ رُشْدٍ he has presented to you a choice of guidance, of righteousness. Iqbaluha, accept it. and leave me be ati to go to him. Allow me to go to him. Qalu They said, okay, you go to him. Now. Urut ibn Mas'ud was going to them on behalf of the Quraysh. Budayl ibn Warqa wasn't from the Quraysh, he was from the Khuzar, and they were the rivals, so he went of his own accord. But now for the first time, the Quraysh are sending someone on their behalf to negotiate, to discuss. And that was Urut ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. So Urut ibn Mas'ud came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa فَجَعَلَ يُكَلِّمُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So he began speaking to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in the camp. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم نَحْمٌ مِّن قَوْلِهِ لِبُدَيْلِ So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to Urut ibn Mas'ud something similar to what he had said to Budayl ibn Warqa before him. And which was that I come peacefully we come only with the intention of Umrah, not with any intention of fighting or battle. Why does the Quraysh wish, wish to persist in fighting me? It doesn't make sense for them. Let Tell them to leave me be. And I can agree a truce with them. In that truce, no party will engage in any hostile act towards the other. And in that peace, 
They can carry on doing what they are doing. Leave me be. If people choose to follow me and support me, and I prevail, then ultimately I am one of the Quraysh. They can then, they then have the choice of following me just as the rest of Arabia has followed me. And if otherwise, meaning he didn't say it explicitly, but if otherwise, meaning if I don't prevail, and then they wish to get rid of me, because in one narration he says that if the others get rid of me and I don't prevail, and the others get rid of me, then what they seek would have been achieved. And if they still wish to fight me later, then they will have rested, they will have recuperated, so they can then battle with me. But if they persist, if they insist on battling with me right now, then I will continue to fight with them. So whatever the Prophet ﷺ said to Budayl, he said to Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, فَقَالَ عُرْوَةُ عِنْدَ ذَلِكَ Then, having heard what the Prophet ﷺ had to say, Urwah said to the Prophet ﷺ at that point, أي محمد, أو محمد, أرأيت إن استأصلت أمر قومك, tell me, if you uproot your people, هل سمعت بأحد من العرب اجتاح أهله قبلك? Have you heard anyone of the Arabs who uprooted his people before you? Meaning, you are so... Because, because of the way the Prophet ﷺ spoke to him. Politely but firmly. And he said exactly what he had said to Budayl. Which is that I come peacefully. But if they battle with me, then I will battle with them. So Urwah said, O oh Muhammad, tell me. If you, because he saw the determination of the Prophet ﷺ, if you uproot your people, and Urut ibn Mas'ud was wise, he was intelligent, he was a diplomat, and he knew the whole history, that ever since the Prophet ﷺ had left Mecca six years ago, the Quraysh had tried everything. They fought with them. They fought with them in the Battle of Badr, in Uhud, in other skirmishes in between, and then eventually they marched in Medina with the intention of invading the city with their other tribal allies, with an army of over ten thousand, and yet still they failed in their mission. And now the Prophet was a few miles from Mecca, albeit peacefully. So Urut ibn Mas'ud knew that not only was, it, was this wasn't a stalemate, but eventually the Prophet ﷺ would prevail. And if he did prevail, it would mean the utter crushing defeat of the Quraysh. So he said to him, O oh Muhammad, tell me, if you uproot your people, do you know of anyone amongst the Arabs who has ever uprooted his people before you? And the meaning is, as I said, 
tribes, clans, family connection. This meant everything to them. And so, loyalty to one's tribe was paramount. And a tribe as a whole would battle with someone else, but people would not betray their own tribe let alone defeat them, crush them. And what had happened with the Prophet ﷺ, he was a member of the Quraysh. To the Arabs, all they could see was that Muhammad is a member of the Quraysh, he is one of the people of Mecca, he is now gone. And now he is battling with us. He is battling with and fighting against his own tribe, with all kinds of different people, Ansar, from Medina, other Arab tribes from around Medina. So, he has collected different members of different tribes, and he's brought all of them against his own tribe. So this is what Urut ibn Mas'ud was referring to, that, oh Muhammad, if you defeat your people and crush them, and if you uproot, istasalt, meaning you uproot, your own people, have you ever heard of anyone before you amongst the Arabs who's uprooted his own people? How can that be? Then he continues, And if it's the other, what's he referring to? What the Prophet ﷺ said. Which is that, let them leave me alone. If I prevail, then this will happen. If I don't prevail, although he never explicitly used those words, then this is exactly what Rawlat ibn Mas'ud is referring to. I, either you will prevail, O Muhammad, and do you know anyone who has approved his own people from amongst the Arabs before you? And if it's the other. And he, again, Rawlat ibn Mas'ud did not use the words that if you are defeated. He just said, if it's the other, the other option, then... فَإِنِّي وَاللَّهِ لَأَرَى وُجُوهَا وَإِن تَكُنِ الْأُخْرَى If it's the other, meaning you are defeated. Then Urut ibn Mas'ud said, فَإِنِّي وَاللَّهِ لَأَرَى وُجُوهَا Then, by Allah, I see faces. Meaning, I see different faces around you. He's in the camp of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Quite possibly in the tent of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَإِنِّي لَأَرَى أَشْوَابٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ And indeed, I see all kinds of different people. خَلِيقًا More deserving. أَنْ يَفِرُّوا more deserving and more likely to flee and to abandon you. Again, what's Urut ibn Mas'ud referring to? What he's saying is that you've brought all these different people from different tribes, Ansar from Medina, some of the Quraysh who are with you, the Muhajirun, the other Arab tribes, all kinds of different people, and you've brought all of them to fight against your own people, the Quraysh. Has anyone ever done that before you? If you prevail, 
And if you don't prevail and it's the other, then these same faces that I see around you, all of these different kinds of people, I see different faces. And I see a mixture of people. I said kinds, but the meaning of وَإِنِّي لَأَرَى أَشْوَابٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ أي وَإِنِّي لَأَرَى أَخْلَاطٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ I see a mixture of people. Well, these, all these different people I see, I think that if it's the other, meaning you are defeated, then most likely all these different faces and all these different types and kinds and mixture of people, what will they do? They won't be loyal to you because they're not from your tribe. What will they do? At the first instance, they will flee and they will abandon you. Because again, Urut ibn Mas'ud, at that time, he wasn't a Muslim. He was still thinking along the nationalistic Arab way. So when Abu Bakr was sitting behind him, so Urut ibn Mas'ud was in front of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr As-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu was behind Urut ibn Mas'ud. So when he heard this, the Sahaba were angry because Urut ibn Mas'ud was telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa that this mixture of people you have around you, at the first sign of trouble, they will flee and abandon you. فَقَالَ لَهُ أَبُو بَكْرِ So Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu said to him, Imsas بِبَضْرِ He swore at him. And I'm not going to translate that. It's khayr. Uh, Lat imsas bibadri lat. Lat is the female goddess that the Quraysh and Thaqif used to worship. In fact, another thing. Laat, where was it situated? In Ta'if. The temple of Laat. Laat was the goddess. Afara'itumul Laat wal Uzza. There are nine idols mentioned in the Quran. So, Laat is one of them. And Laat was situated in Ta'if. It was their chief goddess. And because Urwat ibn Mas'ud, where was he from originally? Ta'if. And Laat was the high goddess of the tribe of Faqif. So Abu Bakr radiallahu he swore at Urwat ibn Mas'ud, I'm not going to translate it, but he used Laat in the Swear. Imsas bibadrillat. Anahu nafirru anhu wa nada'u. What? Will we flee from him and abandon him? Faqala manda. So he, he heard him, but he didn't, he didn't see him because Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was behind him. Faqala manda. Su'ud ibn Mas'ud said, Who's this? قَالَ أَمَا وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ قَالُوا أَبُو بَكْرِ They said Abu Bakr. 
قال أما والذي نفسي بيده. He said, by that, Allah in whose hand rests my soul. Urwah said this. لَوْلَا يَدٌ كَانَتْ لَكَ عِنْدِي لَمْ أَجْزِكَ بِهَا If it wasn't for a favor of yours on me, whose repayment is outstanding, and that I have not repaid you for that favor, لَأَجَبْتُكَ I would reply to you. I would answer you in kind. Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu had done him a great favor. And that favor, the debt was still outstanding on Urwa. This was before. It's reported that Urut ibn Mas'ud had negotiated a truce with someone. And as part of that truce, he had to pay blood money. And Abu Bakr long before this, he assisted him in the repayment of that blood money. And Urwah ibn Mas'ud still hadn't paid him back. So Urwah said, if it wasn't for for a favor that you had rendered to me, whose debt is still outstanding on me, and I have not repaid you for that favor. If it wasn't for that, I would answer you in kind. Qal, then the narrator says, وَجَعَلَ يُكَلِّمُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ And he then began talking to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. So having said, after the interjection of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and after his reply to Abu Bakr radiallahu he then continued talking to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. فَكُلَّمَا تَكَلَّمْ So every time he would speak to the Prophet أَخَذَ بِلِحْيَتِهِ He would hold the beard of the Prophet He would hold his beard. Why? Not out of disrespect. The You may have seen it, but um, in some culture, especially in the Arab culture, and this was from the time of the Prophet ﷺ, before the Arabs would do this, when they speak to someone else, man to man, then in their conversation, they would show affection in order to win the other person's heart. And part of that affection, in, in, it's, it's a kind of respect as well, where they would touch the beard lightly, so it, it's a way of endearing the other person to oneself. It's body language. So he he began stroking. He held the beard of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning he began stroking it lightly. When Mughirat ibn Sha'bah, and Mughirat ibn Sha'bah, قائم على رأس النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم, he was standing at the head of the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ was seated, and behind him, standing in guard, was Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah. قَائِمٌ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ Standing at the head of the Messenger وَمَعَهُ السَّيْفِ And with him was a sword. وَعَلَيْهِ الْمِغْفَرِ and on him was 
the helmet. And we learn from other narrations that not just the helmet, not, not just the helmet, but Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah was mutalathim, meaning the Arabs again had another method where they would wear the imamah and in battle at times they would, well they would have the helmets on, but otherwise they would have the imamah, but they would also do niqab, complete niqab, talathim. So they cover their whole face, leaving just the slit eyes, ninja style. So, Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah was completely covered, and he had a helmet on as well, and he had a sword standing at the head of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa So all the while, Urut ibn Mas'ud never knew who he was. وَعَلَيْهِ الْمِغْفَرَ فَكُلَّمَا أَهْوَى عُرْوَةُ بِيَدِهِ إِلَى لِحْيَةِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So every time Urwah, and remember Urwah was standing, so the Prophet ﷺ was seated, and Mughirat ibn Shu'bah was standing behind him with the sword. Urwah ibn Mas'ud was standing. So every time he would lower his hand to stroke and touch the beard of the Messenger ﷺ, ضرب يده بنعل السيف. المغيرة بن شعبة would strike the hand of عروة بن مسعود with the بنعل السيف with the tip of the scabbard. If you've got a covered sword, the sheath or the scabbard, normally at the bottom of the scabbard, where the sword end is and tip is, that's covered with metal, metal or extra leather covering. It's reinforced. So the reinforced bottom part of the scabbard or sheath, where the sword's uh, blade point could come out, that's what you call the na'lus saif. And why is it called the na'lus saif? Na'l means shoe or sandal. So the shoe of the scabbard. So what? Uh, so the, sh- the the sword was unsheathed. It was, sorry, it wasn't a she- unsheathed. It was sheathed. It was still in the scabbard. So holding the sword with the scabbard, with the sheath, Urwat ibn Mas'ud, every time he'd lower his hand to touch the messenger's beard, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-Mughirat ibn Shu'ba would strike the hand. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud said, and what would he say? The words are, He would strike his hand with the shoe of the sword, meaning with the end plate of the sword. And say to him, Distance your hand from the beard of the messenger of Allah. So Urwah raised his head. And he said, who's this? They said Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah. And in one narration, the Prophet smiled and said, Ibn Akhik, this is your nephew. Because Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, you know his full name? Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah ibn Mas'ud. Al-Thaqafi. He was, his father was a brother of Urwat ibn Mas'ud. Shu'bah was a brother of Urwah, and both were the sons of Mas'ud. She was his nephew, but he couldn't tell because he was completely covered. فَقَالَ أَيْ غُدَرُ She said, oh, 
most treacherous one. Do I not still continue to strive for your treachery? What was that? Do I still not continue to strive for your treachery? Had accompanied the people in Jahiliyyah. And he had killed them. وأخذ أموالهم and he had brought he he had seized their wealth ثم جاء فأسلم then he came i.e. to Medina فأسلم and embraced Islam let me it's just one sentence but let me explain this المغيرة بن شعبة was from Taif his father was the brother of Urwa his father's name was شعبة son of Mas'ud and he was a brother of Urwa son of Mas'ud they were from the Thaqif tribe. But Thaqif tribe is a super tribe, just like the Quraysh is a super tribe. And there were different clans. And the two chief clans of Thaqif in Ta'if were the Banu Malik. That was the sub-tribe, Banu Malik. And the other one was the Ahlaf. So... Urwat ibn Mas'ud and Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, their family was from the Ahlaf. But they were from the Thaqif, but they were the sub-tribe of Ahlaf, of the Thaqif. The other sub-tribe was Banu Malik. They were rivals. So the Banu Malik and the Ahlaf were rivals. Before Islam, meaning before the Prophet ﷺ had already done Hijrah, a group of people from Mecca, uh, from Taif, decided to travel to Egypt to visit Muqawqis, the ruler of Alexandria, who was a viceroy of the Byzantine Roman Empire. So The people went. But they were all from the Banu Malik sub-tribe. Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, he was bitterly opposed to Islam. And he actually says himself that, I used to say that even if my entire tribe embraces Islam, I would never embrace Islam. And in those days, the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina. He wasn't Muslim, he was in Ta'if. When this group of Banu Malik travelled from Ta'if to Egypt, to Alexandria, to visit Muqawqis, he decided to join them. When they arrived, Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah says that when we arrived there, Muqawqis, the Egyptian ruler in the City that was a royal city at the time, the royal city of Alexandria. He <coughs> invited us to the palace. We met with him, and he asked us that Are you all from one people? Are you all from the same tribe? He was the odd one out. He was from the Ahlaf. All the others were from Banu Malik, although they were all from the tribe of Thaqif. So the, all the others said, Yes, we're all from one tribe except one. They said, Who? They said, Him. 
So Muqawqis, for some reason, paid no attention to him, and he ignored him. He ignored Al-Mughirat ibn Sha'bah. And he lavished his attention and gifts on the others. They, in turn, also mistreated Al-Mughirat ibn Sha'bah. So he was alone. For some reason, some bitter enmity arose between them, even though they were uh, fellow travelers. And Al-Mughirat ibn Sha'bah goes to the extent of saying that the Muqawqis, he gave everyone gifts, but he gave all the gifts to them, and he gave me something which isn't even worth mentioning. So he was still a non-Muslim. So in his anger, what he did is that on the way back from Egypt, he decided to vent his anger on the rest of them, on all of them. So he... They all sat down to drink at night. And he said, I'm not well. He was lying. He said, I'm not well. So I won't drink. But I'll, I'll, I'll be the cupbearer for all of you. So then he began giving them extremely strong wine to drink until they were all intoxicated. When they were all intoxicated, he killed all of them. And he took their wealth. Then he fled. And then for some reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put Islam in his heart. And he came to Medina. And he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, O Messenger of Allah, this is what's happened, this is what I've done. But he said, I sincerely come to you repenting, and I, will, I wish to embrace Islam. And then he presented all the wealth taken from the, uh, his fellow travelers to the Prophet ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ refused to accept it, because it was based on treachery. Even though they were the enemy, it was based on treachery. So he refused. So this is the reference. وَكَانَ الْمُغِيرَةُ صَحِبَ قَوْمٍ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ And Mughira had accompanied the people in Jahiliyyah, in ignorance. فَقَتَلَهُمْ So he killed them. وَأَخَذَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ And he took their wealth. ثُمَّ جَاءَ فَأَسْلَمْ Then he came and then he embraced Islam. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ So the Prophet صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ said, أَمَّا الْإِسْلَامِ فَأَقْبَلْ فَلَسْتُ مِنْهُ فِي شَيْءٍ I have nothing to do with it. So the Prophet ﷺ refused to accept the wealth of uh, Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, which he had taken from the Banu Malik, his fellow travelers. Now, this is what Urwat ibn Mas'ud was referring to. So what happened after that? When word, there were 13 of them, Banu Malik, he killed all 13, and he fled to Medina. When word reached Ta'if of what Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah had done, the Banu Malik, since they had lost 13 members of their tribe, they sought revenge from Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah's family. And who were they? They were the other sub-tribe, Ahlaf. So they said, we want 13 heads of the Ahlaf. We will kill them. 
So they were about to battle. Urwat ibn Mas'ud being senior and being wise, he, he was one of the Ahlaf, he was the uncle of Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, and he was also one of the leaders of the Ahlaf. So he then came up with a proposal, he calmed everyone, pacified them, and they then agreed to accept blood money instead of lives. So they said, we want the deer, the compensation of 13 of our fellow tribesmen. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud said, we will pay for that. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud, now Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'rah was in Medina, and all the wealth he had taken was still with him. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud, his uncle, had to strive and work hard, collect all the money, and pay the blood money for 13 slain people from the Ibn Malik. Urwat ibn Mas'ud had to do all of that. So when Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah kept on striking the hand of Urwat ibn Mas'ud, he raised him, who's this? And saying, shift your hand from the beard of the Messenger wasallam. And according to other narrations, shift your hand before the hand does not return to you again. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud said, man hadha, who's this? So in one narration, the Prophet smiled and said, Ibn Akhik, your nephew. Then the other Sahaba spoke up, as I said here, qalu al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah. They said, al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, faqala ay ghudr. So he said, oh, most treacherous one. Alastu fi ghudratik. Do I still not strive to? Because of your treachery. Meaning, I have suffered and I continue to suffer because of your treachery. Because of what you did, I am still paying the price. Urwat ibn Mas'ud. Thumma inna urwah. After this conversation with, uh, with Al-Mughirat ibn Shu'bah, his nephew. Thumma inna urwah. Then urwah. Ja'ala yarmuqa ashab al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He began observing the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with his eyes very closely. Qala. He then said, meaning Urwat ibn Mas'ud. Fawallahi. Well, actually, the narrator says, Fawallahi. By Allah. مَا تَنَخَّمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ نُخَامَ The Prophet ﷺ did not spit any phlegm. إِلَّا وَقَعَتْ فِي كَفِّ رَجْلٍ مِّنْهُمْ Except that that phlegm fell in the hands of one of them. فَذَلَكَ بِهَا وَجْهَهُ وَجِلْدَهُ He then anointed his face and his skin with that phlegm of the Prophet sallallahu وَإِذَا أَمَرَهُمْ إِبْتَدَرُوا أَمْرَهُ And when he instructed them, they raced to fulfill his command. وَإِذَا تَوَضَّ And when he performed wudu, كَادُوا يَبْتَطِلُونَ عَلَى وَضُوئِهِ They would jostle and were close to fighting over the remnants of his wudu. His wudu meaning the water of his wudu. وَإِذَا تَكَلَّمْ And when he spoke, خَفَضُوا أَسْوَاتَهُمْ عِنْدَهُ They subdued their voices before him. وَمَا يُحِدُّونَ إِلَيْهِ النَّظَرَ تَعْظِيمًا And they would not stare at him out of respect for him. يُحِدُّونَ إِلَيْهِ النَّظَرَ Meaning they would not sharpen their gaze. Which means stare. And literally, وَمَا يُحِدُّونَ إِلَيْهِ النَّظَرَ And they would not sharpen their gaze at him. تَعْظِيمًا Out of reverence for him. فَرَجَعَ عُرْوَةُ إِلَىٰ أَصْحَابِهِ And in one narration, 
no hair would fall from his beard except that they would rush to catch it. So Urwah returned to his companions, meaning the Quraysh in Mecca. فَقَالَ أَيْ قَوْمِي He said, Oh my people, وَاللَّهِ by Allah, لَقَدْ وَفَدْتُ عَلَى الْمُلُوكِ Verily I have visited in delegations the kings. لَقَدْ وَفَدْتُ عَلَى الْمُلُوكِ I have visited the kings. وَفَدْتُ عَلَى قَيْسَرَ وَكِسْرَ وَالنَّجَاشِي and I have visited Caesar and Cosro and Negus. These were the generic titles for the emperors of the Byzantine Roman Empire, the Sasanian Persian Empire, and the Abyssinian Empire. Wallahi in ra'aytu malika. Wallahi in ra'aytu malikan qat. By Allah, I have never seen any king. يُعَظِّمْهُ أَصْحَابُهُ Being revered by his companions. مَا يُعَظِّمُ أَصْحَابُ مُحَمَّدٍ مُحَمَّدًا As the companions of Muhammad revere Muhammad. وَاللَّهِ by Allah إِنْ تَنَخَّمَ نُخَامَهُ He does not spit any phlegm إِلَّا وَقَعَتْ فِي كَفِّ رَجْلٍ مِّنْهُمْ Except that it falls in the hands of one of them. فَدَلَكَ بِهَا وَجْهَهُ وَجِلْدَهُ and then he anoints his face and his skin with that phlegm. And when he commands them, they hasten to fulfill his command. And when he performs the ablution, they are close to fighting over the remnant drops of his water of wudu. When he speaks, they subdue their voices before him. And they do not sharpen their gaze at him out of reverence for him. And verily he, he has presented to you a plan of righteousness. So accept it. But they did not listen to him. So then another member of the Quraysh. فَقَالَ رَجْلٌ مِّن بَنِي كِنَانَ So a man from the Banu Kinana. And who was he? Al-Hulays ibn Alqama. That was his name. Al-Hulays ibn Alqama. He was from the tribe of Kinana. Kinana wasn't another tribe. That Kinana is a parent tribe of the Quraysh. Fihr ibn Malik ibn al-Nadhar ibn Kinana. Kinana was actually the great-grandfather of Quraysh. Fihr. So the descendants of the great-grandfather of Quraysh, who are not from the Quraysh, but from the sibling tribes, they, some of them were known as the Banu Kinana. So he wasn't of the Quraysh. فَقَالَ رَجْلٌ مِّن بَنِي كِنَانَ So a man from the Banu Kinana, who was Al-Hulays ibn Alqama, he said, دَعُونِي آتِي Allow me to go to him, meaning to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَقَالُوا سَذُ قُرَيْشَ الْإِئْتِهِ Go to him. فَلَمَّا أَشْرَفَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ So when he came close to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
وَأَصْحَابِهِ and his companions, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, saw him from a distance. قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, having recognized him, he said, هَذَا فُلَانٌ This is such and such a person, meaning Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah. وَهُوَ مِنْ قَوْمٍ يُعَذِّمُونَ الْبُدْنِ And he is from a people who revere the sacrificial animals. فَبْعَثُوهَا لَهُ So raise the animals for him. فَبُعِثَتْ لَهُ so the animals were raised, because remember, they were all camped. So the animals were raised for Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah. And the people greeted him, loudly proclaiming the talbiyah, saying, Labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. So when he saw this, قال, Subhanallah, he said, Subhanallah, may Allah be... Glorified. It's not befitting that such people are prevented from the house of Allah. So when he returned to his companions, meaning the Quraysh, what did the Prophet ﷺ do? He recognized him and he realized that this is Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah from the tribe of Ginana, from the Banu Ginana. And they were a very devotional people. So remember, the Arabs, even before Islam, some of these rites and rituals of the Hajj and Umrah were already practiced by them. So they revered the Kaaba, they revered the sacrificial animals, they revered the garlands. So the Prophet ﷺ recognized him and said, do you know what? Make a display. Show them what we have come for. So the Sahaba anhum were in ihram. They had their sacrificial animals with them. So the Prophet ﷺ said, he comes from a people who revere the sacrificial animals. So all the sacrificial animals, the large cows, the camels, the others, they were just grazing, lying around. Prophet ﷺ said, raise all of them. So all the animals were raised and moved towards him. And the Sahaba anhum, they began, they all stood loudly proclaiming the talbiyah labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. So even from a distance as he was coming closer, all he could see were people in the state of ihram, dressed in two simple pieces of cloth, proclaiming the talbiyah, surrounded by sacrificial animals which were clearly marked with their garlands and with their shi'ar, meaning the, the, the slitting of the humps. So, uh, Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah said, Subhanallah. He said, it's not befitting that these people should be prevented from entering Mecca and should be prevented from the house of Allah. Why? Because... The Quraysh, one of the reasons for their prestige and their standing amongst all the tribes in Arabia is that they were considered the custodians and the guardians of the Kaaba. But the Kaaba was the house of Allah, which was to be visited and which was revered by all the tribes of Arabia. And no one was to be prevented. And this is why they had these sacred months, during which people would visit the Haram, 
And even killers would be the killer. They would say that the killer of another person's father would not be retaliated against in the haram, in the vicinity of the haram, in the sacred months, because of the sanctity of the Kaaba. And this is why this was such a serious offense, that for the first time, the Quraysh were preventing people from coming to the house of Allah, which was supposed to be universal because of their personal politics. Something unprecedented. So when Al-Hulais ibn Alqama saw this scene, he didn't even come to the Prophet ﷺ. He turned back. So he never actually spoke to the Messenger ﷺ. He turned back and went to Mecca. When he went there, he said, فَلَمَّا رَجَعَ إِلَىٰ When he returned to his companions, قال, he said, رَأَيْتُ الْبُدْنِ I have seen the sacrificial animals. قَدْ قُلِّدَتْ that they have been garlanded, وَأُشْعِرَتْ And they have been marked, فَمَا أَرَىٰ أَنْ يُسَدُّ عَنِ الْبَيْتِ So I do not think that they should be prevented from the house of Allah. The hadith, well, this part stops here in this narration, but we learn from other narrations that he became quite angry. And Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah was the leader of the Ahabish, which was a confederation of different tribes who were allies of the Quraysh. So Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah, he got very angry. And he said, this, this is intolerable. How dare you prevent Muhammad and his companions from the Kaaba? We will never tolerate this. And if you persist in preventing him, he is merely a pilgrim. And if you prevent him, then... I will gather all the Ahabish, meaning the confederate tribes, and I will bring them against your Quraysh. So the Quraysh said to him, these are actually the words in the narration, they said, sit down. They said to him, sit down. You are merely an unrefined Bedouin. You don't know anything. And we're not surprised at you. We surprised at ourselves that we ever sent you in the first place. فَقَامَ رَجُلٌ مِّنْهُمْ يُقَالُ لَهُمْ مِكْرَزُ بْنَ So another man from amongst the Quraysh stood up, who was called Mikraz ibn Hafs, and then he came to the Prophet wasallam. But I'll stop here, we will continue from here next week, inshallah. A lot happened after this. Mikraz ibn Hafs came, then the Prophet wasallam sent... A sahabi called Khirash ibn Umayyah radiyallahu He went to the Quraysh. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu And they detained Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu In fact, before him, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi didn't want to send Uthman radiyallahu He called Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu And he said to him, Umar, he wanted to send him for two reasons. One, to reassure the mustad'afun in Mecca, all the oppressed, weakened, powerless Muslims who remained behind in Mecca after the hijrah. He wanted to convey to them to remain steadfast and to give them the glad tidings that the Prophet ﷺ would prevail and that they would see good days. That was one message that he wanted to convey to the oppressed Muslims of Makkah al-Mukarramah. And the second message was 
to speak to the Quraysh and to negotiate entry into Mecca for them. But because the Quraysh were so hostile, in fact, as I said, a large contingent had come out of Mecca and camped in the eastern part of Hudaybiyah, battle-ready, having worn leopard skins in order to battle with the Prophet ﷺ. So Umar ibn Khattab actually said to him, Ya Rasulullah, you know my enmity, you know my enmity for the Quraysh and you know their feelings about me and that you know they know my enmity for them. And I fear that if I go, there won't be anyone from the Banu Adi who will protect me. Again, we can only understand this through the tribal structure. Umar ibn Khattab was from the Quraysh. He was a Quraysh. But his lineage meets up with the Prophet in Ka'b ibn Lu'ayy. Remember last week we covered the part where Budayl ibn Warqa al-Khuzai radiyallahu said to them that, oh, Prophet, oh Muhammad, he wasn't a Muslim then, he said, oh Muhammad, I have left behind Ka'b ibn Lu'ay and Amir ibn Lu'ay prepared for battle. And who are Ka'b ibn Lu'ay and Amir ibn Lu'ay? They were the eighth, Lu'ay was a ninth ancestor of the Prophet ﷺ, the grandson of Quraysh, Lu'ay ibn Ghalib ibn Fihr. So he said, I've left behind Ka'b ibn Lu'ay and Amir ibn Lu'ay. And the reason he said that was the most important members of the Quraysh, or virtually all of them in Mecca and its, in its vicinity, were all the descendants of Ka'b ibn Lu'ay and Amir ibn Lu'ay. And Ka'b was the direct ancestor of the Prophet ﷺ. He was the eighth ancestor of the Messenger ﷺ. Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim ibn Abdul Manaf ibn Qusay ibn Kilab ibn Murrah ibn Ka'b. So Murrah was a son of Ka'b. Murrah had a brother called Adi. So Ka'b, his sons were Murrah and Adi. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu from the children of Adi. So his lineage meets with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Ka'b. And that's why in one of the narrations he says that there is no one from amongst the Banu Ka'b. And in the other one he says there is no, in one narration there is no one from the sons of Banu Adi. So are they two different narrations? No. Adi is a son of Ka'b. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, there is no one of Banu Adi who will protect me. Because the Banu Adi weren't that powerful in Mecca. The Banu Makhzum, the clan of Khalid ibn al-Walid, the Banu Abd shams the clan of Abu Sufyan and Utbah Shaybah, they were the more powerful ones. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, there is no one from Banu Adi who will protect me. Because if I go alone, the Quraysh, because of their hostility and our position, 
I do not believe, I can't trust them and I don't believe that they won't harm me. But let me suggest someone who's far better, who will be able to fulfill the mission and who will be protected by his family members. And that's Uthman. Why? Because Uthman ibn Affan was from the Banu Abd shams He was from the, tra- the clan of Utbah, Shayba, Abu Sufyan and the others. So they would protect him because he's from their clan. So he sent Uthman ibn Affan and inshallah I will detail all of that next week. But I was speaking about Urut ibn Mas'ud I don't think he comes again in the hadith, but what became of Urwat ibn Mas'ud? Remarkable story. Urwat ibn Mas'ud, he spoke to the Prophet wasallam, the uncle of Al-Mughirat ibn Shaba. He went back, he told the Quraysh, but they didn't listen. Although they never replied to him offensively as they did to Al-Hulais ibn Alqamah. Because they said to him, sit down, you're just a wild, refined, unrefined Bedouin who has, you don't understand anything. And we're not surprised at you, we're surprised at ourselves. How, how did we send you in the first place? But they never abused Urut ibn Mas'ud because he's a very senior person. Urut ibn Mas'ud's story is remarkable. He then was out of the picture. At some stage he went back to Taif. And after the conquest of Mecca, and I've spoken about this before, when the Prophet ﷺ conquered Makkah al-Mukarramah, after the conquest of Mecca, he then marched against Hawazin and in the Battle of Hunayn. And after the Battle of Hunayn with the Hawazin, he then went on to the city of Ta'if. So Urwat ibn Mas'ud, a thaqafi he... He was the one responsible for directing the defences of the walled city of Ta'if. And in fact, he himself says, well it's reported of him, that he was absent in the Battle of Hunayn. Because he feared that the Prophet, he was a, he was a non-Muslim still. He feared that the Prophet ﷺ would march on Ta'if. So in preparation, he had gone somewhere else to study the art of siege warfare. And he was studying manganels, which in Arabic we call the minjaniq. Normally we just, people commonly translate minjaniq as catapult. But catapults were a much uh, a different kind. These were manganels. Minjaniq is a manganel. So he was studying the art of siege warfare and siege engines such as the manganels and what we call the caterpillar which is where you've got a group of um, soldiers covered with either not just a single sheet not just shields but a large triangular uh, engine and often with a battering ram in the middle hanging in Arabic, they call that a dababa. So in modern warfare, they call dababa a tank. But the word dababa exists from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So these were the caterpillars that were used as siege engines. So he was studying the, uh, the art of siege warfare and actually siege engines such as a manganel and the caterpillar, etc. Anyway, he then, he was absent at the time of uh, the Battle of Hunayn, but then he 
when the Prophet ﷺ laid siege to the city of Taif, he had returned and he was in charge of the defenses. And the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba were unable to penetrate the defenses of Taif. So they laid siege to the city, uh, some Muslims were martyred, and then the Prophet ﷺ, uh, broke the siege and lifted the siege and just left, and he made his way back to Medina. Urut ibn Mas'ud, approximately a year later, after Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq had returned to Medina from the Hajj of the ninth year, because the Prophet stayed in Medina, Abu Bakr was the Amir of the Hajj. A year later from the siege of Taif, Taif still hadn't become Muslim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts Islam in the heart of Urwat ibn Mas'ud. And he of his own accord, even though he had successfully defended the walled city of Taif, he left Taif and traveled to Medina, presented himself to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and embraced Islam. <clears throat> he then said, O Messenger of Allah, allow me to go back to my people and spread Islam amongst them. Prophet said, No, your people will kill you. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, if they find me sleeping, meaning he trusted his people, he said, No, O Messenger of Allah, if they find me sleeping totally unaware and unalert, they won't even wake me up. They'll leave me alone. So then he sought permission, the Prophet ﷺ then allowed him to go. So he came back to Ta'if. When he came back to Ta'if, since he was one of their leaders, people came to greet him. And remember, what did I say? He was from the Ahlaf, which was the rival sub-tribe of the Banu Malik. Both were from Thaqif. Thaqif is a parent tribe. And the Ahlaf were the rival sub-tribe and the Banu Malik were the rival sub-tribe. So what happened is, they, when they came to greet him, they all greeted him with the typical greeting of the days of Jahiliyyah. So he said to them, don't greet me in this manner, rather greet me with the greeting of Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So they became angry and they said, he's become a heathen. So they swore at him, they abused him. Uh, even though they had come to meet him and honor him, and they plotted against him. At night, he slept. In the morning, he woke up alone, and in the room where he was, he climbed to the roof, and he gave adhan for fajr. When he gave adhan for fajr, one of the Banu Malik, he was from the Ahlaf, one of the Banu Malik, the rival sub-tribe, shot an arrow, and wounded him fatally. The people gathered. He was on his deathbed in the last throes of life. And the people gathered. His family and tribe, the Ahlaf, gathered. And they said, and they, he was still alive, but he was bleeding to death. And the Ahlaf said, by Allah, we will seek in retaliation for just the life of Urwat ibn Mas'ud, we will seek vengeance in ten lives of the Banu Malik. 
if he dies. And they knew that he was going to pass away because he was wounded fate and he was bleeding severely. So, Urut ibn Mas'ud was lying there and he said, No, oh my people, listen to me. My blood, my life, I give as sadaqah. So let there be no fighting amongst you for my sake. I forfeit my life. So no one is to claim any retaliation from me. And I believe that this is an honor which Allah has bestowed upon me. That through this I shall bring about peace between my people. Because there were uh, rival sub-tribes. And he said that the Prophet ﷺ foretold this, and he told me that my people would kill me. And I consider this to be shahada in the way of Allah. And I request you that when the Prophet ﷺ laid siege to the city of Ta'if, and remember, he was in charge of the defenses, and some Muslims were martyred. He said, wherever those Muslims who were martyred are buried, bury me amongst them. So he passed away, he was buried amongst the martyrs of the siege of Ta'if, even though, ironically, he was responsible, ultimately, for the defense, and therefore the martyrdom of those uh, soldiers of the Prophet ﷺ. When word reached the Prophet ﷺ of the passing away of Urmat ibn Mas'ud, the Prophet ﷺ praised him, and he said, that he is amongst our people like the one of Yasin who was killed. And in Surah Yasin, And a man came from the furthest end of the city, racing, saying to his people, that all oh, my people believe. And follow the messengers. And then the verses continue, till the end. And then what happened? He was killed by his own people. And it was said to him before he died, he was shown Jannah. But he, the Prophet وسلم, likened Urwat ibn Mas'ud to the messenger, to the man of Surah Yasin who had invited his people to Islam and to believing, and they had killed him. And that's exactly what happened with Urwat ibn Mas'ud, that he invited his people to Islam and to the way of Allah, and they killed him. But, what happened later? Again, through his karama and his shahada, all of the people of Ta'if peacefully embraced Islam. And they sent a delegation to the Prophet ﷺ, and they pledged their allegiance to him and embraced. Another remarkable thing about Urut ibn Mas'ud is a hadith of Sahih Muslim. Prophet ﷺ says that the Anbiya ﷺ was shown to me, and this is a hadith of Sahih Muslim. And he, and he was describing the Prophet, and he said, Isa ibn Maryam ﷺ, Isa, the son of Maryam, he said, he looks like Urwat ibn Mas'ud. So he enjoyed that honor as well of the Prophet ﷺ saying that Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi anh, resembled Isa ibn Maryam in his appearance. 
I end with this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of Allah, His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.